Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Lord willing, I'll finish this message tonight on what is true holiness? What is true holiness? And uh, you know, the things that, that are important to God ought to be important to us, don't you think? And, uh, and I'm going to read just, uh, I think, just one verse of Scripture. That's verse 24 of chapter 4, and it says this, And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And I asked the question this morning, what is true holiness? We know what a lot of men may say about that and varied opinions. Uh, you know, somebody may have a thing about the, the length of your dress or the, the modesty of it or, or uh, trousers or, or you know, a lot of things that people have construed and thought about or whatever and determined what they thought based upon their standard as to what is holiness. But the bottom line is, they don't get to set the criteria. It's God that sets the criteria. Amen. He has, uh, he has the last word on these things. And we've got His word. And so we can look at that. And so let's answer that question according to the word of God. All right. And let's pray one more time. Father, I thank you for my Bible, Lord. And I thank you for the men, Lord, and no doubt women who gave their lives and of their, of their goods and belongings and yea, even their lives that we might have a preserved Word of God, a copy of the very Word of God for us to enjoy tonight. And I pray, Father, that you'll bless the preaching of it, the teaching of it, and may the Holy Spirit be my helper and their illuminator. And Lord, we love you and we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for sending Him to Calvary for us. And Lord, I pray you'll bless your Word now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And amen. You know, when, uh, when you see that word wherefore, that's a conclusion. And so uh, Paul here is going to illustrate for us through the leadership of the Holy Spirit, what are the characteristics or traits of true holiness according to God himself? These are the things that he put there. And that's why he says wherefore. In other words, that, that uh, having said that, now he's going to give them some things to to occupy them, that if they are interested in walking in true holiness, that this is where their, their attention should be. And it should be on the things that the first one that I mentioned this morning was, hey, walking in truth. I, I think it's a reason why that, that first piece of armor later in the book of Ephesians that they put on was what? That their loins would be girt about with truth. And the picture there is of a Roman soldier getting dressed for battle. And uh, because, you know, the first part of the book of Ephesians is all about the wealth that we have. And then that middle section where we're taking these passages from, where the message is from tonight, is, uh, is, is, comes from this area of walking. Walk as children of love and walk as children of the light and so forth. And then the last chapter all has to do with the warfare of the believer. Why? Because the devil's not going to take sitting down, you know, the wealth that we have as believers in Christ and then the instruction we receive on how to walk in such a way that pleases the Lord. We know that there's going to be opposition to that. And so the devil would like nothing more than get us distracted about some superfluous things or some, some insignificant things rather than on the things that really matter to God. And what matters to God is that you and I, beloved, is that we would gear our lives, that we would make it a, abundantly clear to those around us and to ourselves that we want to be people of truth. 
regardless of what it might be, regardless of the outcome, but rather we're going to hold on to the truth as we find it in the Word of God and be clear about that. And then our tempers, boy, you know, we live in a time where these perilous times and where people are so impatient, that's one of the things I, I haven't seen it here. I finally had a person blow their horn at me, and it was... Uh, what that must have been Friday was it Friday no was it what day did we wind up going to Bernie was it it was Friday and uh, we went there on Friday evening try to get to a place and and uh, and I had plenty of room to pull out I, I I just guess maybe he thought he just should have been the biggest truck on the road he obviously wasn't driving a Dodge Ram brother he, I think he was in a Ford and he might have not taken kindly to me being out there but I had plenty of time but he blew the horn at me and that's the first person that's blown the horn at me in a month and, uh, and that's probably because I was closer to San Antonio. You know, a lot of road rage and so forth. He was in a hurry to go somewhere. But, uh, <clears throat> but anyway, my point is, is that, that people and their tempers and their lack of patience, God, it just, it, it just seems to be a sign of the times. You know, as I said, boy, we don't like waiting. We don't like it. And, uh, and it gets next to us in a hurry. But let's keep reading, all right? Let's keep moving on and look at verse 28. We've covered verse 25, put away lie. We've covered verse 26 and 27, be you angry and sin not. Boy, if you make, if you cross the line with somebody or with God, get that thing right. Don't give the devil a chance to get a foothold in that relationship. Just take that opportunity away from him. And then look at verse 28. I want to talk to you about your treasure, about your treasure. And notice what this says, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, that thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. And, uh, and treasure, what I'm talking about here is, is the fact that God is interested in how you and I make our money. He's interested in those things. You might not think that matters to him, but it does matter. And the Lord takes that very seriously as to how we are, the kind of worker that we are, where we, where we have our employment, and, and even sometimes the kind of boss that we are as how we treat our employees and those kind of things. You know, in the book of James, what were they doing? They were holding back the wages of some of their people. And so they were, they were addressing those things and, and uh, he was talking with them about that. Those men were going to have to be patient that were, that were the laborers, but they were being sort of stiffed by their employer. And I know the, you know, the world is always wrapped up in, I just want to get the most that I can for the least. And I understand that there's nothing wrong with being thrifty, but you know what? But I don't think that you ought to, you, you all know what an Indian head nickel is, right? Y'all remember those? And man, you know, I've seen a bunch of those, but you know, I know some folks, they squeeze that nickel so tight, you know, because you got an Indian on one side and you got a buffalo on the other, right? I've seen they squeeze that nickel so tight, they got the Indian riding on the back of the buffalo. Amen. That's pretty tight. And I, you know, I thought it was the door that squeaked. No, it was them when they walked. And, uh, you know, and, and our parents, they came through the, 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 the depression. Your parents came through the depression. You're just a little ahead of me. And, uh, but a lot of that was still going, in other words, they still had that mindset and they were very thrifty about things. But notice this passage says that we're supposed to be able to give to him that what? That needeth. And, uh, and that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. And that I'm not going to be worried or concerned about necessarily 
all the days, and when I say of my future, but in other words, I don't want to have a hoarding spirit and that I, I just want to get everything that I can get, you know, at, at the expense of others. So we ought to do an honest day's work for an honest wage. That's what the Bible teaches, and, uh, and that's what we're to practice. And so, <clears throat> and so how we make our money matters. And so we ought to be people who have honesty and integrity about us. That, it, that, uh, that, that, you know, steal, because here's the thing, stealing is a slap in the face of God. For a child of God to steal is what he's really saying is that, Lord, you can't provide for me. What you're doing is not enough for me. Or that person lacks, if you will, they lack something called contentment. The scripture says, but godliness with contentment is what? Great gain. And, uh, and so, because, you know... You're not going to take it with you when you go. I've never seen a U-Haul on the back of the hearse. It's not going to happen. I know of people that have been buried in their cars. I get all that, those eccentricities and so forth. But you're not going to take it with you. And so isn't it better rather than if you're not going to take it with you, isn't it better to invest it in something that's going that way? Like in missions, amen, or, or helping a brother or sister. Man, that's investing wisely. And God wants us to labor in such a way that we bring honor and glory to Him as workers. In other words, beloved, you and I, if you, and I know that most, probably nearly everybody in here is retired except for maybe one or two, but I will say this is that, that you and I, beloved, we ought to be the best employee that that, the, that that boss man has. And you say, well, he just a lost man. I don't care. You're not working for him necessarily. You're working for the Lord first. That's who ought to be getting, and he gets in on the benefit. You know, if you were driving a truck, you're not a truck driver who's a Christian. No, beloved, you're a Christian who's a truck driver. You're not a backhoe operator who's a Christian. No, you're a Christian who's a backhoe operator. Amen. Uh, you're, not a, you're not a housewife who's a Christian. No, you're a Christian who's a housewife. And that ought to be the part that is, that is paramount in our lives. And the Lord says here for us to make a living the right way. Do you know that shoplifting is rampant in our country? Now something I noticed about, about uh, when Debbie and I go to town and then some of the businesses and all, I've noticed at Gibson's, I don't see an armed guard there. Have you ever noticed what's not there? I've never seen a guard there. I, I haven't seen anybody at the Walmart. Nobody in the Walmart, when I've bought some things, nobody wants to look in the bag that I'm carrying. Nobody wants to see my receipt. And uh, I, I noticed also that at the HEB, and I, we, we go to both the little one and the big one. We venture out. We cross the river. Amen. And... Uh, and we go to the big one, and I notice that they don't have those devices on the wheels. Have you ever seen those? They, they make kind of an oversized fender, good word, a fender over one of the little wheels, the front wheels, on the shopping cart. And uh, when you go through the line, if you were at the HEB in, in East Texas over there in Kingwood or Atascacita, there's something that when they move that, those groceries across the scanner or whatever, there's another device that reads that and shows that you have paid for that article that's in your cart. 
And because if you haven't paid for it, what happens when you go to the door? All of a sudden, you're walking along there fat, dumb, and happy like me. And you're just talking and looking. And, and uh, you're probably wondering about, man, why did it cost so much for milk? Or, you know, all of a sudden, boink, man, that whole thing stops. And that fender shoots over the front of that wheel and digs into the carpet. And you can't move that buggy. And it alerts somebody. They come over, sir, I'd like to see your receipt. Let me look at your groceries. They want to know what's going on. I've noticed we don't have those here in Kerrville. I praise God for that. That's a blessing. Now, do I think that shoplifting takes place here in town? Absolutely. Absolutely. But it hasn't got to the place where it has in other parts of the country. Uh, we haven't had any, thank God, and I hope we never have them, those smash and grab kind of things that take place or, or what we see that happens in the city. But, beloved, you know, it's become rampant in our country, and it's getting worse. It is getting worse. I looked some things up. Do you know that there's actually, I looked up, where does the word shoplifting come from? Do you know, do you know how old that word is? That word actually began in the 1600s. There's nothing new under the sun. That's what Solomon said. Amen. And what has been will be. And uh, I, I was surprised. Oh, not 1600s. Good night shoplifting. And, 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 uh, and, and what it had to do with was about taking things, obviously, that didn't belong to you. It was stealing. And it started in the 16, 1600s in, uh, in England. And, uh, and, and, you know, also, do you know that there are seven types of shoplifters out there? Seven types of them. There's the addictive compulsive. They, you know, the world has got a reason always for everybody's bad behavior rather than hold the person accountable. And, and, and we've got news for them. Amen. God holds them accountable. He does. Uh, addictive compulsive. Then there's the professional shoplifter. But that must be somebody like right out of Charles Dickens, you know, like a Fagin or whatever, or, or the artful dodger, you know, that had pockets here and things there, and he could move those things all around, and you just never know. But there are professional shoplifters. I've heard about teams that go in where somebody scopes out what they want to take, and they'll do something to get the little doodads off the clothes or whatever, the little signaling devices. And then another group comes in and they steal them off of there. And so forth. they work like that and they go through areas and there's a lot of loss that takes place in our country all the time. There's the impoverished. Some people steal because they just don't have it. And I can understand, I suppose, if a person stole for food. But man, I, if, if they're able to work, man, they need to come to Kerrville. There's a hiring sign in, in every business. I mean, every business. And, uh, and then there's some people who are just the thrill seeker. You know, there's that Hollywood crowd. You know that they steal. A lot of them, they go to those old Rodeo Drive or whatever that thing's called, Rio Drive. I, I don't, but anyway, but they go there and they take that high price stuff and they make millions of dollars. And why do they do it? Just for the thrill. Or they feel entitled that they can do this. There's the absent-minded. Oh, I put, it, I put it in my bag. Oh, I meant to pay for that. You know, now I've gone around a store and I've picked up a cold drink out of the cooler and I've opened it up and I drank that while I was in the store. 
But I checked out with it. I kept it there in the buggy. And they would look at it like, it was, yeah, I, I was thirsty. You know, that's what I tell them. And I was. And uh, I'm, nobody's ever given me any problem about it because I didn't steal it. I paid for it. Ca the, you know, the cash register doesn't care if it's empty or full. It just wants that label on the outside. Uh, you know, so the absent-minded, sometimes they do that. I should have put thirsty down here, the thirsty, you know. And, uh, and then there's the kleptomaniac. They can't help taking anything from anywhere. It's a, that, that's a compulsive disorder that they have. And, I, you know, I don't know why, but, but uh, when I think about shoplifting, I think about lifting from the shop. I know a lot of men over in Louisiana and so forth that told me that, man, they used to take out a little bit of the plant every day in, in, in their lunch pail or people that work for General Motors. And uh, how many times they took out like a whole car or whatever, a Jeep, took all the parts out in, in, their, in their lunch pail and taken it all apart and then got it back to the house and put it back together. Beloved, that's a crime not only against man but against God. And, uh, and so if you and I are working, if you're going to do a job, amen, give it your best. Give a good day's work for that good wage, and I hope that you're getting that. You know, I mean... You know, because here's the bottom line. In the book of 1 Timothy, it says in chapter 2 that men, we're supposed, when we come to the house of God, we're supposed to lift holy hands. That's a picture of prayer. In other words, we don't want something that we have done during the day with our hands that is an offense to God to be in the way of getting our prayers answered. And so let him that stole steal no more. I mean, you know, I, I think those 87,000 new IRS agents that they're going to be hiring, I think them boys are going to be busy. And gals, those guys and gals are going to be busy because there's probably a lot of corruption out there. And there is. And so, beloved, it ought, to, ought not to be named among us an honest day's work. And sometimes, you know, I think people still, you know, that we've got to learn how to live within our means and have that attitude of gratitude and learn something about contentment. You know, because here's the thing, and you'll hear me say this from time to time, you know, we all can be tempted over some things, but we might not have the opportunity to follow through on the temptation. Other times you might have the opportunity to do something wrong, but you're not tempted. But you let those two things cross paths, temptation and opportunity, it will take more than willpower to keep you from it. And you know what, when you're young, well, isn't this true about young folks? Boy, they want it all right now, don't they? They're no different than what we were when we were younger. We wanted it all right then. We didn't realize how long it took mom and dad to get a house or even that automobile or what all it, what was involved. We just figured, well, we're young, free, we're, we want it, you know. And, uh, and so we made mistakes and got in debt over our heads and made bad decisions because we couldn't wait. And so some people are kept out of trouble because they don't have the means. The problem is when we get older, we sort of have the means. And it's easier to get into trouble. And so, uh, so we, we just need to learn to live within our means. Amen? Because there's a reason you ought to ask yourself, why am I always broke? You've got to ask yourself that question, why am I always broke? And uh, there may be a reason for it. Well, I need more. Well, well what are you doing with what you got? That, that's a good question. And I'll, I'll leave you to answer that, all right? I can see you're, you're enjoying this. Amen. I'm going to move on. Let's look at the next thing. So how we make a living matters to God. Amen. And uh, 
And so then look at this next one. Look at verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. You know something else that God's interested in is our tongues. Our tongues. It's the littlest member, and yet it can cause the most trouble in our lives. I know it can cause trouble in a church when we run our tongues. The scripture says in Proverbs 10 and verse 19, it says in the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. You know what, when you get on the phone and you're talking with somebody, my suggestion is take care of your business and get off of there. Amen, Brother Ed, I'll, I'll say it for you. I'm not afraid to do that. I'll say it for you, yeah, because what happens in a conversation, the longer you talk, a lot of times it just goes down. Somebody mentions something, then somebody else doesn't necessarily want to be outdone, so they're going to add their little log to the fire, and then there's another one over here. Yeah, I remember when they did that, blah, blah, blah. And next thing you know, man, you're, you've crossed the line. In a multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. Communication is a wonderful thing, but I think there's way too much of it today. You know, we have these phones and, and, uh, and we have the technology and we wonder sometimes, man, how in the world did we get along without it? Well, we did. And, uh, and, and in, some ways we, in some ways we were better off without it. And so, Brother Larry, I understand that stuff about the 19th century, brother. He's back there grinning now, all right? And, uh, but I, I agree, I agree. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, the, there's just too much information out there and too much communication sometimes. And it, it, it can get us in trouble. And so, you know, when you think about the ton, what, what does it do? If, if you were to go to, if you were to go to the, go, well, let's go. Go to the book of James with me. Will you turn there? James chapter 3. <laughs> Turn right in your Bible. We're going to come back to Ephesians. But the book of James, I think it's interesting about this stuff, what it does. James chapter 3, this, this tongue of ours. Notice what it says. Uh, look, look, in, uh, look in verse 5. It says, Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. It is a braggart. It is a boaster. It belly aches. The tongue does. It's a murmurer and complainer. I'm telling you, God takes murmuring very seriously. You know, do you remember when Israel murmured in their tents and a bunch of them died? Amen. As a result, and they were talking about Moses and they were talking about, man, all we got is this light bread and and the like. And we were, we were better off, you know, blah, blah, blah. Did you bring us out here to the desert to kill? I mean, we could have just as easily died back in Egypt while we were comfortable. Did you bring us out here in the wilderness to go ahead and kill us, finish us off? Is that what you did, Moses? God did not take kindly to that. And, uh, and you know, and they'd been crying for a deliverer, and he delivered them, and then they were griping about it, murmuring. And so, so our tongues, beloved, boy, it belittles others, and it burns. It can burn. Notice what it says. Notice what it says. Look in verse 5. Even so, 
The tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Do you know how fast a fire can spread? How rapidly it changes in just a matter of seconds. And the intensity of that fire goes up all the while as it's being accelerated by the, by the things that are in that home. And it all started with just a match or a spark or a surge of electricity or a shorted wire. Next thing you know, man, the whole house has gone up. And it doesn't take long for that to happen. It boasts, it bellyaches, it breaks up families and friends. That's what the book of Proverbs teaches. It says, A whisper separateth chief, chief friends. Chief friends. Sometimes the best of friends, somebody comes along and drops a little word in there. And the next thing you know, boy, I mean, a fire has started. Or there's another verse that says, He that repeateth the matter. You know, here's the bottom line, beloved. We don't have to say everything that we think or feel. Do you ever think about that? You ever ask yourself, now, why did I say that? You know, some people say, well, I just put my foot in my mouth. I've been good at just switching feet. Amen. I, and so we've got to learn. We've got to learn how to do this. Because, you know, it's going to go back to let no evil communication. Remember what I said this morning? Let him that stole steal no more. All right. What that does, what that tells me is that we can. You say, well, Brother Ed, it says right down here, look at verse 8. But the tongue can no man tame. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. I don't think he's talking about a saved man. I think that's a lost man he's talking about. Our tongues need to be bridled. Look, look with me. Look in, chapter, look in chapter 1. Look in verse 26. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. And you've got to have a bridle on your tongue. You've got to know when to hush. There is a time to speak, and there's a time to what? Be silent. And sometimes, you know, when you hear things, sometimes you just got to let it go and not respond. Sometimes the enemy's probing. Can you tell when you're being probed? Can you tell that? I mean, you ought to be able to. I mean, I would say at this age, you don't want to be one of those that the simple that believe every word, right? The simple do that. That means they're gullible. That means they're easily deceived or whatever. We don't want to be that way. And so, uh, and so you got to be able to tell me, you know, because here's the thing, you know, when you're in a courtroom, and I, I've, I have testified in a courtroom a few times, and, uh, and, uh, and, you know, a good lawyer knows the answer to the question that he's about to ask you before he ever asks it. Wouldn't you say that's true, sis, working around the courthouse? Good lawyers know the answer. And so, so those people that are probing you, they probably already know the answer. They just want you to confirm a little bit for them. They just want you to verify that. Uh, there was somebody that called here, and, and it wasn't long after we were, I, were trying to build our web page and do some other things and get podcasts out there, of which we have some that are out there now, and you can listen to those going down the road, and, and uh, 
But uh, Brother Mark warned me, he said, now when you get this and we start working on this, he said, man, you're going to get, you're going to have phone calls and you're going to get mail and things that people are wanting to sell you something and so forth. And so sure enough, it wasn't but a day later, you know, that here's a phone call and said, hey, pastor. But, well, I mean, this guy doesn't know me. Hey, this is Robert and blah, blah, blah. And, and uh, I don't know who Robert is. And, uh, and he said, Pastor, I noticed. He said, we were just trying to verify some stuff with Google, and we saw that, uh, you know, the, the church didn't even come up. I mean, it was some, this person came up, and that place came up, and he was mentioning some churches around here in the area, and, and, uh, and, and I'm listening. I said, yes, sir, and I'm listening, I'm listening, and I could tell the conversation was headed towards money. And, uh, and he didn't actually make a bid or whatever, make an offer, an offer and I said, Robert? I said, you know, man, that sounds really good. And I said, but here's the thing. I said, I don't do any business over the phone. I don't do that. I said, there are so many scams out there. And I said, please don't take that personal. I'm not accusing you of that. I said, but Robert, I don't know you. And you don't know me. And I said, why don't you do this? I said, it sounds really nice and good. I might be interested in that. Can you put a packet together for me? And mail that here. You already know the address. You told me you knew our address. I said, just mail it to me, and I'll look it over, and I will be glad to call you back and ask for you, you know, uh, when, I, when I get your business on the phone. And next thing you know, he just, he just kind of giggled and laughed and said, okay, Pastor. <laughs> I, I haven't gotten any mail from him. I keep waiting for Robert to write, and I'm wondering, why isn't he writing me? They're all over out there. But beloved, we got to watch our tongues. We got to watch how we use it. If you, you know, if you want to be a gossip, be a gospel gossip. Talk about the Lord. Amen. Tell somebody about Him. Tell somebody about what He did for you. How faithful He's been. We need to be ready to give that answer, right, of the reason of the hope that's within us. And with trembling and fear, we need to be able to do that. And so, so uh, man, a bridled tongue, it's important. It's got to be bridled because it wants to do all these things. You know, there was an old preacher friend of mine. I think he's gone home to be with the Lord, Brother, Brother Bill Allen. Any of you all know Brother Billy Allen? Planted churches all over South Louisiana. Was a, was a Navy veteran in World War II. And, and, uh, and, uh, but, man, I mean, he just had some great sayings. Some things the Lord had taught him over the years. But he planted churches all over South Louisiana in that Catholic country. And, uh, and they were always entitled, the names of the churches were always Faith Baptist Church. Faith Baptist Church, everywhere he went. And Brother Bill told me one time, he said, man, he said, the tongue is the only thing that's got ten bars and two doors trying to keep it contained. And I said, ten bars? He goes, yeah, that's our teeth, the uppers and the lowers. And the two doors are your lips. Amen. About how to keep your mouth shut about those things. And even David said, I, I don't want to sin with my mouth. And he asked the Lord, set a watch over my mouth. And so ask the Holy Spirit to help you with that. Ask Him, God, tell I don't want to get anywhere near the line. But God, help me to be brief, get my business done, and get off the phone. Cover what I need. You know, it's sort of like, it's sort of like shopping. You know, when men go into a store, men are hunters. All right? And women are gatherers. It's kind of how we are. And uh, I, I, don't, I don't like to shop necessarily, you know. I, I'm not interested. Now, you know, Gibson's was interesting. 
everybody ought to go to Gibson's at least once, amen. And, uh, but I, I'm not crazy about shopping uh, because I just don't like to just sort of meander, oh, what are they going to mean? I have other things to do. You know, men are hunters. What do we do? We go inside. We, we know, hey, I need this. I need some ammunition. I need a screwdriver. I need some uh, fixtures for the walls or whatever, fasteners. And so we go to that aisle and we find, we, there we have to look for what we want and we get it and we leave. But, but women a lot of times, and it's not, it's not, don't take this as a criticism, ladies. It's not, it's an observation. Women are more gatherers, and they're going to go along, and they're going to hold that out and look at it. Well, that looks nice, and you know, and they, and they, they might even put it in their buggy. And uh, so I never try to get in a line at Walmart or any place like that where women have clothing in a basket. You know why? Because they still haven't made their mind up if they're really going to buy it or not. They're going to look at that, and the cashier's going to say, now, that's nice. And you're going to be like, look what I found. Yes, those are nice. Where did you find them? Now they're going to have a conversation. Well, they're right back there on the thing. Yeah, well, on my break, I'm going to, I'm going to be like, ladies, please, you know. Uh, thank you, brother, for that. Yeah, it wasn't an amen, but you understand. You've, been, you've stood behind those very same ladies, haven't you, brother? You know, and then they look at it and say, well, you know, I like the color. That, no, I, you know, I think I'm not going to get it. And so they take it from, you know. I've watched that, you know. Why? Because women are gatherers. And it's not, a, it's not a character flaw. It's just how we're different. And you know what I say? Praise God for the differences. Amen. So, so please don't take that the wrong way, ladies. And, uh, but, but, but the same thing is kind of true about our tongues. And women aren't the only people that talk. Lady, thank you, sister. I'm serious. You ever been to a, you ever been to a barber shop? Good night, man. Some of those men in there they act like they were all vaccinated with a phonograph needle, you know, because they just can't shut up. Now I understand a barber wants to make a little conversation. How are your kids or whatever? I get all that, but then I mean you don't have to have an answer for every topic in the in the newspaper, do you? I've heard that. And, uh, or a reason for this, and, and men can talk just as much as women can. You know, used to be telephone, telegraph, tell a woman, but you know who else is bad? Tell a firefighter. Tell a firefighter. You, you, you know the reason why we get into trouble with that sometimes, why men do, is because these are men that have too much time on their hands. And when men have too much time on their hands and they're not being occupied, they can cross a line and get in trouble. That's true of young men as well. When they ought to be working, they're not. And, uh, and their mind it can get them in trouble. And so because what you think about, you're eventually going to act out. And that's where our thought life becomes important. And so the bottom line with all this about the tongue is that it really is an indication of a heart problem. Isn't that what Jesus said, that it's out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh? It's a work that needs to be done in the heart. And so go back with me to Ephesians, please. Ephesians, I'm almost done. <clears throat> We're talking about the things that matter to God, how you make your living, and what I mean by that is the quality of worker that you are, how your treasure, how you earned it. 
not necessarily what you're doing with it. And I'm not here tonight talking about getting your money or those of you that may listen online. I'm not talking about the tithe and those kind of things. I'm just talking about the way in which we earn our money. It matters to your heavenly Father. Are we an honest worker? Are we a, are we a good worker that's putting forth a good effort? We're not being men pleasers with eye service, but we're doing the will of God from the heart. What a difference that makes. If you've had a business, you know what it's like to have a lousy employee. You know, I, I've talked to young men, man, just getting them to come to work is a huge deal. Just to be on time. And so, so these things, they matter. So how we make that living and our tongues. And, and I want you to notice something. Notice something in this. I, I said this this morning. Look in verse 25. There's that word pudding, right? Putting away. That's durative. It's continual. Verse 28 has the word working. Working. Something that we're to continue on with. If we're going to do it, just do a good job. Working. And then, and then look in verse 29. We ought to spend our time, use our tongue for edifying. Look right there in the middle of that verse. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Edifying. And verse 31 has got all those complaints in it. Bitterness. You were disappointed by something. Rather than talking about it to others, what happens when you allow root or bitterness? The scripture says in the book of Hebrews, it's there, it says, thereby many others are defiled. You know, you can poison someone. How would you, let me ask you this question. How would you feel, you're a grandparent, how would you feel about a teacher who listened to another teacher, school's getting ready to start, how would you feel about a teacher who listened to another teacher talk about your grandchild about their behavior when that new teacher coming up in the school year hasn't even met him or her. I'd say that's kind of not of a fair shake, wouldn't you? Well, what do you think happens sometimes? That teacher will look at the new teacher and say, well, oh, oh, hey, nice to meet you. What, where are you going to be teaching? Oh, I'm going to be, I'm the third grade teacher. Oh, man, yeah. I'm going to be thinking about you, you know. And, oh, why is that? Oh, you, you're going to have Sally in there. Sally's coming to you. So I had Sally last year. Listen, man, have you got your hands full? Her mom and dad, good night. Boy, and that happens. And poor Sally, she doesn't stand a chance. She's already got a mark on her. And when she comes to class, that teacher's already eyeing her and eyeing her parents. Now, maybe they might be helicopter parents. You know what a helicopter parent is, right? Y'all don't know what that is? Let me, let, me, let me introduce you to something, the terminology. A, a helicopter parent is someone that's always hovering about their child. And they want everybody else to hover about their child, too. Because their child's the most important child of any of the children. That's a helicopter parent. And, uh, and so that older teacher can wind up poisoning that younger teacher because of something that happened or didn't happen the way that older teacher thought it should have happened. 
And so we've got to watch out for bitterness and wrath and anger. And you know what? If we're, if we're bad about losing our temper and just popping off and saying things, you, you can't you can influence your grandchildren that way. I mean, just I, I, I got I, I, there was a brother I know that they were sitting at a table at a camp meeting, and, and uh, just to show you the kind of influence that you have, he was sitting at the, at the table, and they'd had banana pudding, you know. And banana pudding, man, you know, it's got good stuff in it, and it's got that calf slobber on top, you know. That's what we call it, calf slobber. That's, uh, that's the meringue, sister. And, uh, and so, uh, there, so he's eating, and, and Daniel, when he was probably about, oh, he might have been eight years old maybe, uh, nine years old, he just picked that bowl up, and he just had that, his face fit right inside that bowl. And what was Daniel doing? He is making sure that his mama didn't have to wash that bowl. So here we are at that camp meeting, and man, he's licking every little bit of that meringue out of there and everything that was in the bottom of that bowl that the spoon couldn't get. And his daddy said to him, Daniel, man, don't you say there's people sitting here, son? Don't do that. Have some table manners. He said, well, daddy, I've watched you do it. <laughs> It'd be good if we could be a good influence, wouldn't it? A good influence. Let's look at the last one. Look at verse 32. We got our treasure, how we make it, our tongue and how we use it. And this one is our treatment of others. Our treatment of others. Notice what it says, and be a kind one to another, tenderhearted. Now here's an I-N-G word, now watch. Forgiving. How many times have we got to do that, Brother Ed? Well, let me ask you something. What, remember when they said that? Uh, uh, Peter said, well, what, what if he comes to me seven times and does it and repents? And, uh, and the Lord said, well, you better, you're going to have to forgive him seven times. And he said, well, man, increase our faith. What, what they were saying was, Lord, that just takes more faith than what I got. You're just going to have, and what, what was his answer there in Luke 17? He said, you know what, if you just had faith the, seed of, uh, the size of a mustard seed, and y'all, ladies, you've seen those little lockets, right, with the mustard seed in there. It's the tiniest little seed. Why did they bother to put it in anything? I, Maybe that was the point. I don't know, but it's a tiny little thing. And he said, you know, if you just had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to that sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the roots and cast in the sea. It would do it. So it's not about having more faith. It's about a choice. It's about obedience. And so, you know, what, what is the Lord's illustration? Seventy times seven. And the idea is for us not to count, Brother Mark. All right, Brother, all right, brother Ed, you're up. That, that's... Uh, Okay, 10, you see, 79, 490, okay, you got 480 left. You're using them up, man. <laughs> the Lord is not wanting us to keep a, you know, keep a box score like baseball, amen? The idea is that it's an infinite number of times. And that forgiving, that's one of those durative words that we need to continue on and practice, practice, practice. Kindness, what is kindness? It just, it costs so little but goes such a long way. Kindness. What I, I mean, I, how have I responded? Debbie and I, the things that we have felt. You know, I learned this as a medic. People don't really care how much you know about medicine, believe it or not. They just, you know, most of them remember how you made them feel. Because you could do everything right on the ambulance and have a bad attitude, and they won't care if they felt better before they even got to the hospital because of what you did. Why? Because to them, they felt like, well, you know, I'm just unimportant to you, and, and uh, you're not really concerned about, my, about my, uh, my malady here or my emergency. 
And, uh, and so they don't, they're not going to remember. But you know what? If you're the other way around and you make them feel very nurtured and that you care about them, you can make a mistake and they're not even going to matter. I mean, I, I had a lady come up to us. I may have told you this, but a lady came up to, to us. I was doing some dry cleaning. And she recognized me, and she said, oh, Mr. Tierbach, and she started crying, didn't she? She started crying, man, you worked on my aunt, and she had that heart attack, and you took such good care of my aunt. I said, how's she doing? Oh, she died. <laughs> I'm so sorry, you know. She said, no, it's all right, but you just took care of her, and you took care of our family, and what can I do for you? And so, man, she gave me a better rate than law enforcement, anything, gave me a reduced rate on all my all dry cleaning was always so nice. And why? She just remembered that we were nice. I, I couldn't recover her aunt, whom she loved, but she remembered that we were nice. What's the old saying? People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's still true. It is our kindness because, remember, we're ambassadors for the Lord. And we're representing a, we're representing a king whom the Bible says of him that he is love. Amen. And it's the thing that you and I are to be known of, right? By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, by if you have love one for another. That's what sets us apart. It's not how many this church seats. It's not how many missionaries they send that shows our strength. But it is the depth and sincerity of our charity one for another that makes a difference. Tender-hearted. That just means to be compassionate. Uh, you know the difference between empathy and sympathy, right? You can sympathize with someone, but someone who can empathize with you, they put themselves in your shoes. You don't find a lot of those kind of folks, but they're out there. And so you just think about how gracious the Lord has been to us, and we are so undeserving and yet He's not withheld from us. He's compassionate to us. Forgiving one another. You know, forgiveness is a divine quality, is it not? What's that old saying? To err is human, but to forgive is divine. That's exactly right. It is a divine thing. And how did He forgive us? How did the Lord forgive us? Was it partially or was it fully? It was fully. And, uh, and wasn't it frankly? that He did it, and He does it without remembering, and He does it without regret. When I say remembering, He said, man, what? There are sins and iniquities while I remember no more. What God has chosen to forget, you're not going to remind Him of. Why? Because He's forgotten it. What did He say? Man, He put our sins in a bag, cast them over His shoulder and put them in the depths of the sea. And, you know, and the clever evangelist or whatever said, He put a sign up that says, No fishing, brother, and uh, for us not to fish them out. And so these things are the things that are important. And that's why, that's why, that's why look at chapter 5, verse 1, and I'm going to be done. It says, Be ye therefore followers of God as what? As dear children. To be thinking about, boy, to be concerned about the truth and to be concerned about our tongues and our tempers and how we make our money and our living and, and uh, whether we're going to let our, our, you know, whether our temper's going to get in the way and so forth. All those things, God 
as He looks upon His children, just like as you and I, we've looked upon our children. And we want them to be productive citizens, don't we? We want them to make a mark in society as a reflection of us as parents. Our Heavenly Father is the same way. He wants us to walk as dear children. And look at verse 2, and to walk in love as Christ had also loved us. And that, what am I talking about? That's our love back for God. That's the motivation that we need to help me with my tongue, to help me with my temper, to help me with how my work habits are or my treatment of others, to remember those things. Beloved, this is what true holiness really is. And these are the things where we need to spend our time and be doers of the Word and not hearers only. Some of those other things that men have got questions about and doubtful disputations, some of that stuff, I'll just tell you, I don't have all the answers on that. And one of those, some of those things, I'm just going to say, Lord, you'll just have to sort that out when we get there, you know. And uh, there's, a, there's another whole message in that, and uh, we may look at that sometime. That's not going to do that tonight, of course, but that's why that Bible says, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind over those things that are not specifically addressed in the Word of God. I've got to bring that before the Lord and say, is this right or wrong for me? That's a mark of maturity. To do otherwise is presumptuous. And so, uh, and so here, beloved, let's give our attention to the true holiness. Amen. And let others do their thing. And let's do ours according to the Word of God. Amen. Let's pray. Amen.